Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Nick Legamaro. I call him Nicky Legs, a.k.a. Nicky the Note Buyer. This guy is so smart. He's such a good guy. We just came back from actually checking out the fights together in UFC. Uh, we went to Boston together, but he's part of a family mastermind with myself. I met him. We spent some time together in Texas with him and his lovely wife, Mel, who is equally as smart. Probably he'd say even more, but, man, he's really got to figure it out. Every time I hear him talk, it makes my brain just rethink and kind of restructure everything that I was thinking about and re- Relook at my whole landscape of what I looked at at a 5, 10, 15 year plan for real estate. So he's doing something a lot of people aren't. He's behind a lot of the things you wouldn't even expect because he's a little bit of a low key guy. He's the guy behind the guy. But once you hear him talk, especially when we get about halfway through and move past the acquisition side and we get into actually talking about the notes and the way he structures this stuff like the banks and some of the benefits and how you parlay some of the risks into some of the the way he uh, avoids those with the way he structures those deals. It's pretty incredible. And there's a few aha moments I had even myself in there that I was like, man, that, that was really awesome. That made a lot of sense. So. I think you guys are going to love this. I haven't had a guest like this on. Uh, he's funny. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's entertaining. So he goes on these these tangents and, and really brings home some of these points. And sometimes I feel like he thinks he goes off topic, but I, I'm right there with him. I, I think he brings it home. So I think you guys will love this podcast. I really enjoyed it. I could have done four parts with him. I plan to utilize his resources. Check the show notes for all the ways to get some freebies from him. Check out some of the stuff he's doing on social media. And as you're going to see, this is not a one-size-fits-all strategy. So when you do come across some of these, if you want somebody to reach out to to help talk you through some of the paperwork, some of the legalities, some of the structuring, how to talk to the sellers, how to sell the buyers, A, B, C, D, E, all the way to the Z's on there. Definitely check out the show notes to talk to Nick Legomaro. Good guy, a lot of ways to follow him. So definitely connect with him on social media. But as you are looking around, remember the fee to continue to get all these amazing guests like Nikki Legs, aka Nikki the Note Buyer on the show. Is just please subscribe. If you go to nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S, you will see all the ways to subscribe to this podcast. It's available everywhere you get your podcast to watch as well as YouTube. So it really goes a long way if you subscribe. If you get a minute or two to leave five stars really helps. And the big thing here is follow us on social media. You can connect with me on basically every platform, probably most active on Instagram, right through nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S. You can see all the ways to connect with me on social media. And I will be posting clips from this episode as well as every episode. The way we have great guests like Nick come back on is to interact. When I post these clips, please like them, please share them, give a little fist bump, tag a friend, let Nicky Legamaro know that you enjoy the content so he tells people it was worth coming on because he reached a bunch of you and made an impact on your lives. It's an amazing time to be a real estate investor and they help you do that. So please interact. If you're not seeing my stuff pop up, just look me up like a couple of my things and I should start popping up on your feed again. And if you would like a free checklist of all the ways to bring value to your buyers as a real estate agent or wholesaler, Go to nicknick.com slash biggerpockets. But the big thing here is I want to do real estate together, especially we're hitting Q4 here in 2023. Let's do some deals together. Whether you want to buy real estate from me, you want to sell real estate to me, or you would like to find some way to partner up on some level, you're not really sure how, just text me 516-540-5733. 
or DM me the words real estate on any social media so my assistant knows to look through it. If you sent me a message on uh, that text, I apologize. Apparently my app wasn't delivering them. So I fixed that. I missed a bunch. I'll be replying to them this week. But thank you for staying connected. Thank you for listening to the A-Game Podcast. And thank you, Mr. Nick Legomaro, Nick the Note Buyer, for coming on, sharing such amazing insight and being just such a cool guy and a good friend and uh, coming along to Boston and having a great time. So Awesome guy, awesome people. It's all about connecting with good people. I look forward to connecting with much more of you, many more of you over the coming months and years. Have a great day. A-Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is another Italian Nick L. You can never have too many Nicks on the A-Game Podcast, but this is my buddy, no. Nicky Legamaro. I yeah. call him Nicky Legs. I got to give him another name because I'm Nicky Knuckles. We just spent some time together in Boston <laughs> at the fights. We spent some time in Dallas. He is a creative mastermind genius. He's an entrepreneur. He's a real estate investor. He's a fight fan. He's an energy drink fan. He's a family man. He's got a great combination with his wife, Mel. Shout out to her. And uh, one of the smartest low-key guys that I've met, he's got a good sense of humor. And there's so much going on in that brain that I couldn't wait to get him on the podcast and have him share a little bit about what he's got going on he's an og in the game he's been around for a long time he understands real estate on a very high level done over a thousand transactions and uh and up and running on that on a higher level that we've seen in recent history he's coming up and running with the family mastermind i will see him again in september and we have him on on this lovely afternoon thank you for coming on the a-game podcast today my friend my fellow investor my fellow mastermind <laughs> brethren nikki legamaro welcome to the a-game podcast sir what's up what's up knuckles What's up, <laughs> as Wyman said, it was funny. I had a great time in Boston. That was that was that was a good time. Uh, the outcome wasn't what we had hoped for, but it was uh, always good to have 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 a good time, regardless. So yeah, good, man. Family, good friends, good food, good time. So yeah, man. So uh, yeah, dude, it's it's a good time right now to be a real estate investor. You know what? Here's the thing: it's always a good time. And you know the reason why? Here's where people I think fail in when they when they look at the market conditions, is they put on the mind they put on the hat. You know that they're typically a fix and flipper, right, or a wholesaler or, or a realtor. But you know, as a as a true real estate investor, I've been doing this. I was around before 2007 and eight. I was around in 2001. I mean, I've been around a long time. So the old guys are getting to be cool again, I think, because, they, <laughs> you know, 90% of the, of the, you know, when I started in real estate, man, there was none of this stuff, man. We didn't have YouTube and podcasts. Hell, our data, you had to go down to the courthouse to get. You couldn't even get it through a download, right? So, you know, we learned a lot um, just by doing things. But here's what, uh, what I was going to say is that, you know, majority of the people that watch these things and, 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 and learn are people that never really had a chance to experience a bad economy or a bad market, right? Look, people bitching and complaining about interest rates being high. Let me tell you something. The interest rates today are what they were 10 years for the last hundred years before, or even higher. In fact, I was, I was at my uh, parents' house recently and my, or my dad actually sent me a clipping from 1982. It was a savings and loans, just to show you how old it was. And it says they were paying CDs. CD rates were like 16%. It's like CD, a CD rate, 16%. I go, wow, that's no reason that savings and loans is no longer in business. No, that's not the, <laughs> that's a whole different reason. But my point is people have selective memory or don't have any memory at all because they never experienced what really that was. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter because regardless of where we are in the, in the market, 
as an investor, you I'm on both sides of it anyway. I'm a buyer and a seller. I can't sell unless I buy. I can't buy unless I sell. So at the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference to me if we're in a buyer's market, seller's market, sideways market, you know, W, V, U, T, whatever the hell they want to call it today, you know, inflation, no inflation. It doesn't make a difference because that's where we are right now. And if you just, I, I, you know, we have to pivot. We got to look at things a little differently sometimes, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter really what, what place you play in the real estate game, whether you're an investor as a that that's that's a wholesaler or a realtor or a fix and flipper or a landlord or a private money lender, it doesn't change really anything. It's just how you evaluate the deal. I love that, man. I just had Ross Hamilton on and he was saying something similar about it's always the right time to buy as long as you buy right. And he was talking about how there's there's all these inefficiencies in the market that are getting fixed by technology. And he was saying the the window to actually own like a whole home, he sees going away in the next five years and that houses are going to become like a stock that people are going to say, well, Nick, I'm not going to sell you. I'm distressed, but I'm just going to sell you 4% of my, we're like, it's going to be a crazy thing. So interesting. That, that's a very interesting a, point. You know, well, yeah. this is where, you know, the, 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 the demise of where, if there is a demise, I mean, where we are today has been, was largely predicated by non-traditional non home buyers buying real estate, hedge funds, private equity groups, things like that. And uh, the majority of those buyers, uh, you know, I think I, the last number I saw was maybe 20% of all housing sales. What are we in 2023 now? In 2021, I think the number was, was because of, uh, you know, entities buying, buying properties, wasn't, hmm. wasn't individual homeowners. So inflated price, those people have a lot more uh passion uh, or a uh, 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 patient capital, if you will. They don't have to turn it to a profit. And a lot of times you got guys like Zillow running out and buying real estate that have no business buying real estate because they're trying to evaluate a deal through software and technology and algorithms from the 20th story of a New York high rise <laughs> for a deal in Columbus, Ohio. It doesn't work that way. And as a result, you know, they now they had some other motives when they did all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I had sold maybe, oh man, I don't know, five or six properties through the through Zillow in their purchase program. And I went back and I looked all of them up. Not one of the properties that I sold them did they sell for a profit. Not one. It's like, so yeah, you know what? They they're they're you know, you know, you can make a hundred million dollars uh in gross revenue, but it costs you 150 million to run the business. Is that really a smart business strategy? To me, it's not. So, but you know, what do I know? I'm just <laughs> well, you sir know a lot. So it's it's an interesting point too, because I agree that I think I tell everybody, you see the guys on social media, and I literally watch them go like one week, oh guys, it's the best time ever to buy real estate. We're making money, we're selling to hedge funds, we're doing X, Y, and Z. And like a week later, it was guys, those days are gone. Real estate's no longer the same like that was. And I'm like, real estate markets don't change in, in a week, first off. Second off, just because it's not three hours on market with 15 offers over asking and you have to sit on a house for 30 or 45 days doesn't mean that it's a bad market. Yeah. We still have to get to a normal market before we get to a bad market. And again, bad market relative to who. So being that you've seen a couple of different turns here, what are some of the the things you see when you tell when people 
are sitting on the sidelines now waiting for interest rates to come back down, which is just going to make prices and competition go back up. What's your take from seeing all these market cycles on buying and at a so-and-so like sitting on the sidelines now missing out on an opportunity for somebody who's seen multiple opportunities gone by? Yeah, that's a great, great, great point. And I will tell you this, where we are, just to put it in perspective, where we are today, where we are today, I've literally been waiting for this time for at least since 2013. So 10 years. The market conditions, I've been, I, I don't, I don't wish high interest rates on anybody. I don't wish unemployment to be at whatever. But at the end, but at the same time, you have to look at it very objectively. When the opportunity affords itself, you have to be really ready to strike. And now is the time because there's what we what we had through COVID and what we had as a result of just um, the government's call it whatever you want. Interest rates should have never been two and three and four percent ever. My opinion, never, never. I don't. I mean, they will probably never get down that low again in my lifetime. I don't know how they could. I don't know why they should. I don't know why they will. But I will tell you this. Here's what I do know. And this is where the opportunity is. The biggest asset anybody has and owns is not their house. It's their debt. The debt is the most valuable asset they own. And people go, what do you mean? Well, that you owe $300,000 on a $300,000 house, there's zero equity. But when the debt is two and a half, three and a half, even 4%. There's tremendous value in that to be able to leverage that in a lot of different ways to get paid, okay? In fact, 90% um, 90 of all existing mortgages right now that are that are active are have a four and a half percent interest rate or lower, okay? We just worked with a, we, we just worked a deal with a seller that um, has a 2.25% interest rate. 2.25% VA loan that we're going to structure a deal with them to get them some cash now, maybe get them some cash flow and some cash later. But let me tell you something. Jesus couldn't get a 2.5% interest loan <laughs> right now. I mean, seriously, he just couldn't, right? So, so when you can figure out how to leverage that, because here's the end of the day. Buyers need sellers. Sellers need buyers and lenders need both to have happen. So when you can understand how to be that facilitator to put buyers and sellers together and take traditional banks out of the equation by creating seller financing and owner financing, this is where the opportunity is. So let me just give you a few statistics because I'm a sort of a stat nerd, right? I love that about you, sir. I'm a stat nerd too is, now I'm, because of guys all, like you. It all boils down to economics 101, supply and demand. I wasn't a smart kid in school. I did go to college. I did get a degree. Granted, it took me about seven years, but hey, you know, better better now, better than never, I guess. But here's what I do understand. I do understand supply and demand. And when I here's what I do know. Let me just give a few numbers here. First of all, about 65% of today's uh, population cannot go down and get a traditional bank loan from Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America. 65%. I'm one of those people, not for the reasons most people can't go get it. I own multiple companies. I don't have a W-2. I have, uh, you know, I get paid dividends. Then I'm not a pretty buyer to the bank, right? The bank wants somebody that's got a W-2 job, 
worked for Coca-Cola for 10 years, blah, 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 blah. All that changed during COVID. A lot of people had to change their, 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 their positions, the companies, the industries, and it makes it very, very difficult for, for buyers to qualify traditionally, 60, 65%. That's number one, okay? The other thing that it is, as I will say, is that the seller carry market, when I say seller carry, seller financing, owner financing, whatever verbiage you want to use to, to identify it, what I will say, what it's not, it's all the mortgages that are written privately that don't have the assistance of a traditional bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, City, whatever, okay? That market today is almost $30 billion, billion with a B, Okay. It will get to, in my opinion, although everything I'm saying is my opinion. Am I giving you any legal advice, Nick? Am I giving you <laughs> any accounting advice? No, I'm just telling you my opinion based on what I've seen and what I do every single day. And, you know, it, it'll probably get the 35 or $40 billion annually in the next couple of years. That means in the last four years, there's been over $100 billion of privately created mortgages, Okay that didn't have the help of Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, okay? That's people like me selling a house to somebody like you that doesn't get a traditional loan and I negotiate the term and the rate and the payment and we do the deal without the assistance of the bank. This is big, man. This is where a lot of a lot of opportunity is. And so as a result, when you know that 60, 65% of the, of the population can't get a loan, then if you can provide them some type of financing, then that's a that's a pretty good position to be in. Well, here's the other flip side of that. I talked about the, the supply and demand of it. If you go into your market right now, whether it be Chicago, Phoenix, Dallas, Atlanta, and you go and you go look at everything that's available for sale, okay? And you go in and you say, oh, there's 5,000 houses within the Dallas-Fort Worth market, okay? But then you go do a refined search and you find out how many of those houses are available with seller financing or some kind of creative financing of those 5,000, less than 5%, less than 5% of them are available with seller terms, less than 5%. Now, does that mean they they, they wouldn't be uh, considered terms? No, this means they may not even know that they can even be the bank, right? You know, most people don't know they can actually even be the bank or they think they have to use a traditional bank. It's just not the case. So if 60 to 65% of the marketplace needs help and wants to have home ownership and only 5% of the inventory is available to buy with creative financing, it's a huge opportunity if you can control inventory and the buyers. And that's exactly what we we do and we do we train and we teach and we show you how to be a matchmaker basically at the end of the day. And even if you don't want to do all that stuff or you don't want to just be a lender off it, you can be a lender also in in lend in these situations and be a bank. You can be a lender and become the place of the bank. A lot of people do not know this. I mean, most people think that the only way you can make cash flow in real estate is by owning it. It's just not true. It's just not true. There's a banks have been doing this for a very long time. Banks control everything but own nothing, right? You you can say what you want if you like banks, don't like banks. It doesn't really matter. What you what what, what is a true statement about banks is banks make a crap ton of money by controlling it by lending money to make money. Period. And it's a beautiful thing. It's called amortization. So. 
didn't want to get too deep and too sideways on that, but this is the opportunity to go help sellers out of debt, out of, out of a situation by leveraging their debt and finding homeowners that need the help, if you will, with seller financing and putting the two together and being the, the matchmaker and everybody wins. The seller wins because they get out of a situation that they would maybe lose money if they sold it. Um, the buyer wins because now we're able to provide home ownership to hardworking families when they were told no by the bank. That's a win. You know, we win as investors because we're structuring this. The community wins because, you know, now we have a homeowner in a house instead of a renter, just the whole homeowner versus renters mentality. Look, there's nothing wrong with renting. Okay. There's nothing wrong with being a landlord, but there's also another opportunity to be what I call a lean lord, not a landlord by being the bank. And as a, and that's a benefit to some, to some people in some in situations, you just need to know what those are. Man, you just brought up so many different avenues and questions. I'm going to shut on, up. But... And I'm going to shut up. Now you ask me some questions. I'm no, sure. this is this if is you're really thinking good, of some stuff. I mean, I, and I mean, geez. No, that's dude. That's a stagger. Sixty-five percent is incredible. Yeah. Like, and just what you're talking. I didn't even think about the the ability, like you were saying, to create notes and sell them because there's such a lack of inventory there. But I think uh, uh, one key thing before we go into, I definitely want to know about how you take these down on the acquisition side. Then we'll talk dispositions. But you brought up a really interesting point where if there's not a lot of inventory and there's not a lot of people buying and selling and there's that many private loans being done and the banks are struggling and they're making harder and harder to get loans, do you think – because normally the way I would look at it is like if if the market is, so to speak, tough, it's because the lenders aren't lending because they're tightening up the criteria because of uncommitted funds that are, that are kind of out there. But if they're losing out to the private equity people that are – building these notes on them, do you think it'll create an opposite effect where the banks are going to start to say, crap, we actually need to loosen up our terms or maybe do something with the rates so more people can actually get a traditional loan because we're losing out on all this money on the back end? No, I don't think that'll happen at all because all these funds and everything, they're in bed with 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 the banks and Wall Street in general. I don't think that's where they want. They want to, they want to control it all, in my opinion. I don't think they really are after. I don't really think they're trying to make you know, home ownership, the the American dream and make it make it available for everybody. I don't think that's the 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 the, the plan, if you will. Um I it just there again, I think it just boils down to just opportunity and just making sure that you can position it. I mean, we can provide we can we can help provide home ownership to hardworking families that have been told no. And that's that's the byproduct of all of this. So um that's that's sort of where this whole thing lies right now. So talking about the acquisition side now, what are some of the things that you're seeing? Because I know, especially with real estate agents involved, which I know was a huge thing that we were talking about in Boston. I, I gave you the example. I had a great one that would have been a seller financing or it would have been an amazing sub too. I looked at exactly what the seller would have been making and I could have easily just given that to the seller taken over that product and then had a pretty good interest rate. I could have given them more money if they would have done it than they would have netted on the traditional sale. But because the realtor was involved, she said, look, those haven't been done since the early 1990s and yeah. wouldn't even pitch it to them. We were like, they just don't know. So they're hurting their client as well as hurting the investors here. So talk a little bit about some of the obstacles that people might find on the acquisition side for having yeah, that conversation. That is a great, that is a great point. Let's talk about that because from a, you, as a seller, okay, here's the thing. As a seller, you have two ways. You have basically three ways you can sell. You can decide to try to sell it on your own for sale by owner. Most people, the majority of people would consult and hire a realtor. And the reason being because 
they deem realtors to be more knowledgeable and experienced at buying and selling houses than they are. Think about the typical homeowner, okay? And I look at my my parents, right? And my, and my wife's parents and just, just people in general. If you sell two houses in your lifetime, that's that's probably about the most you're going to do. You're going to have your first house you buy, it's going to be your starter home, and then you're going to leave that starter home and you're going to go into potentially your forever home. And then you're probably downsizing, you're gone and gone and doing something else. So you may transact to maybe three houses in a lifetime. Well, that is not enough to be able to understand this stuff at a very high, high level. So you consult and bring in a realtor. But to your point, the problem is that the realtors are smarter than the seller from a from a from a selling standpoint, but they're not that smart. Okay. They're just smarter, right? It's like saying, hey, you just gotta be, if you're getting chased by a bear, you gotta be faster than the other guy. It doesn't mean you have to be fast. It just means you have to be faster, right? It doesn't mean you have to be smart. You just have to be smarter. And the reason why I bring this up is because one of the things that we've really started to actively going and doing now is educating realtors and brokers on creative financing and the ability to provide an opportunity to sell and have a, and have a buyer for their sellers that can't get a traditional buyer. In fact, I'm speaking actually tomorrow and I have, I've, I've, I'm working with two attorneys right now and they both teach continuing education to realtors on creative financing. It's all, and, and so it, this is where it's all going. It's just think, you know, because the number one thing the realtor says, oh, that's illegal. I've heard it a hundred times. I have attorneys say, telling it's like, it's not, okay? Trust me, go read the property code. Most people haven't. Most people don't even know how to find where the property code in their state is. I'm telling you right now, it is sure as the sun's coming up tomorrow. It is perfectly legal, but there's, you have to be careful on the structure and how you do things. So our job is to educate the the realtors so they can take that to their sellers or educate sellers directly so they can be informed on how to structure a deal to protect their 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 property their debt whatever the case may be when i was talking about that 30 billion dollars a year that's being created about 95 percent of that is done wrong okay they don't do it correctly. They don't underwrite the, the buyer correctly. They don't do the paperwork correctly. They don't follow the compliance and all this stuff. And this is super, super important. So as part of what we do is we have to educate and we have to teach people the right way to do it and help them do it the right way, okay? Because what I'm talking about right now, this the private mortgage business and why I love it so much is because it's such an untapped opportunity. We have such an opportunity to educate and protect people's uh you know, you know, their property or their, their, their debt or whatever it is. Most people don't know how to structure this. So this is what we come and do. In fact, I had, I had created a private mortgage company in between 2010, starting in about 2010. And in 2018, I actually sold a privately, a private mortgage company, seller financing company to a federally chartered bank. Okay. I mean, think about that for a second. Think, say what you want about banks. I say I don't, I don't take sides, but we sold this business to a bank. And why is that important? Well, I think it's important because banks are probably the most compliant vertical or industry in the in the in the in the world. Okay, they have to follow more compliance and have more red tape than probably any other industry that I know of. That I know of. So 
we had to go through this huge 10, 11 month under, uh, underwriting and due diligence process. At the end of the day, what we found out is that we were doing it the right way. We were teaching it the right way. But more importantly, we learned some of the things that we weren't doing the right way. We fixed them. And so now we can make that available. So when we teach and educate realtors on how to structure, one of the byproducts of that is being able to take this opportunity and make sure the back end is done and performed correctly. This is where a lot of people fail. Most people fail in the underwriting of the of the debt on the on the back end. Super, super important. So regardless of where you get your information from, you have to have the right people on your team. You have to have the right attorneys that understand this, this, this process. You have to have the right transaction coordinating company to make sure that the documentation is done correctly, that you're following compliance and all the rules and regulations that Dodd-Frank sets out and SAFE Act and the CFPB. The good news on all of this, not to, not to scare anybody or confuse anybody, it's all done for you. It's all available to be done for you. You just need to know the who, right? So we can help depending on what state you're in or where you're at, who that might be. So you can get high quality institutional grade paper written at the end of the day. So anyway, I think I got a little bit deep on that. But No, no, that, that was great, man. And it's it's an interesting answer because your answer is different than, you know, I've had the, you know, shout out to I know your, your friends with Pace and a lot of the sure. financing guys that come in here. But generally, the question on the acquisition side becomes, you know, the the average person who hasn't had the conversation is, well, how do I even convince somebody to do that? And they think that that's the biggest hurdle that they're going to have to finding a seller financing or a seller sub two deal. Whereas your answer was more, that's not really the part you should be worried about. It's really the the pay, like the real stuff that you can get in trouble with. On the other side, the worst that you're going to get is somebody says no or calls you an idiot. Your side is the important side. Once you get the yes, how the hell do you make sure? And I saw literally people that didn't want to hear or go deeper into the conversations and get the bad news. So they weren't 100% clear on their disclosures. And then I tell everybody, when you get somebody that agrees to these, sometimes they're in a distressed place. So they're making an emotional decision. In a seller finance situation, you're in bed with that seller for sometimes 5, 10, 15 years. And then they learn to regret those emotional decisions. And yeah. they could come back and go, well, hold on a second. I don't remember agreeing to hold it. You know what I mean? And then if you didn't pay up the right way, what are you going to do? So I think your part is really, that's the part you should be worried about. Not that are it's they the only part you should be worried about, in my opinion. I mean, because if you take care of it right from the beginning, because here's the end of the day. At the end of the day, it, we, we, we have to be good stewards of the debt that we acquire, right? So if I'm going to buy somebody's, property and leave their debt in place, for example. Okay. And I'm going to do this. And maybe I'm maybe they're JVing with me. Okay. Maybe, maybe now it becomes a cash producing asset for them because they're, they're getting an extra hundred dollars a month that they weren't getting before. There's different ways to structure any of this. But at the end of the day, this is not something, it's not like a traditional deal where the deal is over when you close on it, right? That's just the first part of the transaction. Then you're going to go find a buyer. Well, that new buyer, what they might be in there five years, 10 years, 20 years. So you have to make sure you do everything right from the beginning because this might be something that's on the books for a very, very long time. So you need to make sure you understand how it's structured, how it's created, and protect everybody involved. Because look, here's the end of the day. I am a I am an, ent an entity. I am a company, right? I'm dealing with consumers. And I am very, very, uh, I'm an expert. They are very much a novice. So I have to do everything in my power to, to, to disclose, disclose, disclose everything from them. In fact, 
My job, in my opinion, is to try to talk you out of doing the deal, not trying to talk you into it. Nick, are you sure you really want to do this? Do you understand this, 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 and this? This is what I'm going to try to do. This is what I plan on doing. But understand there's risk. People, but here's the thing that, that, that cracks me up is that people go, why would anybody let you take over their mortgage? Well, because they're getting paid, first of all, okay, in some capacity, either they're getting bringing, brought, being brought current on something that they are in um, default on, or they have, they can't afford it any longer. But at the end of the day, it's no different than an investment, right? You know, you can invest money into uh, stock and Tesla and whatever, but um, at the end of the day, you're investing into something else that's going to produce a return. The best part about it is if it's structured correctly, the seller still has recourse because they still have access to that property in the event that somebody defaults on it. Okay. You go buy Tesla stock, you know, and it goes down 20%. You're not picking up the phone, calling Musk and going, Hey bud, your, your, your stock's taking a, taking a dump here. Can you, why don't you reimburse me? doesn't happen that way. But if I buy a house from you and I agree to perform and I fail to perform and meet the expectations that we set forth, you have recourse because it's called, that's what banks do. At the end of the day, you're, you're a bank. You're a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a lender in some capacity. And if you don't pay the bank, what can a bank do? They can take your property back and do something with it to get the, the, the cover their, their investment. Well, home, home owners that sell on this, they are no different. That's it. So, Dude, I never even thought of that. I'm going to have that conversation for now when I sell people properties and be like, hey, you don't call up your stock company when the stock drops and say, I want my money back. Or, you know, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good point, man. Buyer beware. But so you, you brought up another interesting point here. So I had dinner with uh, Aljamain Sterling this weekend in, uh, in Vegas Aljo. after we just saw him fight. Wasn't his yeah. best night, but guy's a Hall of Famer anyway. He's going to be back. He, he's oh, got a lot of opportunities. Love the guy. But he love asked him. me something that I would like to ask you. He was saying, hey, I'm trying to wrap my head around sub two and seller financing. And he said, I just don't understand what's the benefit for the person selling you the property via sub two or seller financing. So I would love to kick that to you and say, hey, Aljamain Sterling, if you want to know the answer, we got Nikki Legs right here and he knows it better than anybody. What would you say to the funk master? It depends. <laughs> it depends. Okay. And it depends on a lot of things. Okay. And it depends on what, why do you need to sell? What is your, what is your, what is your situation? Is it a money problem? Or is it a real estate problem? Okay. And they're two entirely different things. Okay. Is it a money problem because you got two mortgages now because you just moved and you're not, you're not able to do it? Is it a real estate problem because you maybe inherited something or somebody, you know, it does depend. But here's the advantages. And look, buying or selling on creative is not for everybody, but it is for a lot of people. So I would say this. Here are some of the main advantages to buying. It creatively and creatively can mean buying it subject to an existing mortgage debt or buying it with seller financing from the seller that may not have any debt on it. Okay, so let's talk about both of these. So I just did. I, I'm doing a deal right now. I think I told you it was two and a half percent down in Georgia. It's a nice house, and the seller is already moved. They already gone. They they had they had lived in it at one point in time. Then I think they turned it into rental. They had some situation. Don't know the exact thing. They just, they said, I want $30,000. Okay. And this is what you have to remember. This is super, super important is that when somebody sells their house, okay. And they're saying they, they're asking $300,000 for it. I'm just going to use this number because this is the deal I just did. 
they're not necessarily asking for $300,000. What they're asking for is $300,000 because they want $20,000 in their pocket or $30,000 a pocket because they know they owe 260, right? And they got closing costs and seller fees and all that stuff. So the question really is how much cash are you looking to put in your front pocket when you walk away from this transaction? That's number one. That's really what we really want to know. So in this situation, the seller wanted $30,000. I go, fine. And they gave us, they let us take it over. And as a matter of fact, I think I actually gave them even a little bit more because I thought it was the, it was a fair deal because I knew what this thing was going to result. So you need to understand what the reason is to the seller. Okay. And not all, look, contrary to property belief, Nick, not all sellers want cash for their properties. Newsflash. Okay. Newsflash. So at the end of the day, if I, if, if you were going to sell a, tr like this deal, if they sold it traditionally, they would maybe make $5,000 because you got, just use 10% as the number, okay? If it's a $300,000 house, your cost to a seller, which people don't look at it this, this way all the time, is going to be about 10% because you're going to have buyer agent fees, you're going to have seller agent fees, you're going to have seller title policy, closing costs, you might have seller concessions, you might you know lose out on get insurance, all these things. So let's call it 10%. So he's at 270, you know, uh, is net. And if he owes 260, then he's he's making $10,000, okay? So we came in and just said, we just offered him, go, look, we'll give you your asking price. We'll pay all the agent fees and we'll give you $30,000. And so the question becomes now, is is it better to leave the, the mortgage in place for $30,000 or is it better to take 10,000 and walk away? And I look at it, it's an investment. You're investing and you're gaining a $20,000 additional return in this situation to leave the debt in place. Because if you don't have the $20,000, then you can't do anything with it. You have no value in it. So there's, it's just all a personal preference at the end of the day. But a lot of times right now, we're seeing a lot of times where the seller can't make a nickel a profit. We just did one in Lubbock, Texas, and the seller was, gonna, was losing like $25,000, okay, to do the deal based on what they owed versus what the net was going to be. They actually wrote a check for $15,000. We got it down from 25 to 15. They actually wrote a check. People go, why would you write a check? Well, when you have a government job and you have clearances and you can't, you know, and it's it weighs on your shoulders, to some people, it's easier just to write a check and be gone. Not everybody has the financial capacity just to do that. So ultimately, what we want to do is we want to get the seller some some money if we can. Um, not only the possible because they they might be forty thousand dollars behind payments, so that's where the money's going to go to. They just they wasted you know the opportunity over the time. So you know to Aljo, it's like you what we're doing is we're developing uh, we're working together to figure out what the best thing is because I need you to give me something back, Mister Seller, and here's what I need: I need to be able to come in and take this property over and control, and have access to the cheap debt. Because I can't go down to the bank and get 3% money like you did, okay? And I'm willing to pay for that. And how, this is how I'm going to pay for it. How do you want to be paid? Some people want cash. Some people want cash flow. Like, now let's go to the other side of it for a second. And let's talk about landlords, okay? 
there are a lot of tired landlords out there right now. Okay. We see a lot of deals coming in where somebody got enamored by the fact, oh, they see all these shows on TV and they can go out and be a landlord and make cash flow. That's the way that everybody makes makes money in real estate. Cool. Nothing wrong with it. But people get busy, they get tired, they're not experienced. And now that becomes a liability, not a not an asset. So we can take the cash flow. I can work in a, a, a small portfolio in Texas right now. And the seller's got five properties. And I said, look, if you sell all these properties right now to me and I give you cash, here's you have to make a decision. Is that's a good deal for you? Because when I give you that cash, excuse me, you got capital gains, seller. Okay. You get capital gains. So whatever your cost basis is, less from whatever you buy them from, you're paying Uncle Sam, whatever that is. Hey, how about this? Why don't you be the bank? Okay, there's no debt on. So you were going to create new debt. Be my bank. You be the lender to me. And I'll make payments to you. You'll get cash flow. But you, now you don't have to pay the capital gains on the big chunk. We spread it out over the next 5, 10, 15 years. It's very good. It's very good for people that want to still stay in. So people that are extremely knowledgeable, that are that are that are extremely experienced investors, especially landlords, love the seller financing model because they get it. They get how be how how being the bank is extremely valuable to the to doing uh the transaction. So there's both sides. I don't know if I could answer that question yeah. as well, but why don't you can ask me and if I missed something there. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get in on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Now you go. Aljo, if you're listening, we'll get you on a three-way call one of these days. <laughs> a lot easier to show it on a video, man. I'm a visual guy, man. I'll show it to you. No, I love there it. Again, everybody's different, man. People go, people go, why would somebody let you take over the mortgage? I'm, I, you know what? I don't know, Nick, but they do. That's what yeah. I will tell you. Okay? Yeah, I, I answered the question with him, too. It was like the, the person that I dealt with, he was like, well, what did they get out of it? And I tell people all the time, it's not always about what they're getting. It's about what they're not losing anymore. Sometimes bleeding that yeah. savings account, that stress, you know? So one of them that I did recently, she didn't want anything. She literally told me, I don't care if I make a dollar on this house. I just need out. It's like, cool. Well, you literally, that that's what it is. It's stopping the bleeding rather than, you know, because I think people look at it as like, well, what's in it for them? What are they gaining? It's like, it's not always about the gain. It's about the Band-Aid to stop the bleeding. 100%. And here's the thing. This strategy is not a plan A strategy. It's not even a plan B strategy. It's probably a plan C strategy. Okay. Hey, plan A, sell it for cash and get, get out of the deal. I get it. Okay. Find a traditional buyer. I get it. But when plan A fails, do you have a plan B? This is a plan B. Okay. Is it the best plan? Well, no, but it might be the only plan. It might make the difference between you getting foreclosed on 
Okay. Here's the thing people have to understand in today's environment, the everything is credit driven. Okay. Whether you like it or not, it is insurance credit driven. What you pay for insurance credit driven, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It is what else is credit driven. You know, you can't ask a bunch of bunch of personal questions anymore when you go do a job interview, right? Everybody's all been out of shape, but guess what they can do? They can pull credit. They can de determine your the what kind of a payer you are. They can see a lot of things in the credit, whether they think that you're going to in, in translate that potentially into uh, being a good employee. You know what else they use it for? Clearances, you know, security clearances. They want to know, you know, how 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 financially stable you are because you know think about it this way if you have if you're not financially stable okay and you're trying to do something what's the what's the likelihood that somebody might do something out of out of uh desperation i mean look at everything that's going on just in in the in in the united states today i mean vandalism and looting and stuff like that that to me to a large extent is is a part of desperation because for whatever reason, people do desperate, desperate things in desperate times. So if we can eliminate that and make that a positive to the seller, not a negative, because as soon as we take it over, guess what's being, guess what's happening? Payments are being made on time. Okay. The notes performing. Their credit is positively being impacted, not negatively being impacted. There's tremendous value and it's way more valuable for that than to have something else that can negatively impact you for a long, long time. So those are the reasons why sellers do it. And that's what we explain to them, why they need to look at that and take that into consideration. And there again, they have to make the decision what's best for them and their family, not what I say it is at the end of the day. So and I won't let them do a deal if I don't think it's the right thing for them to do. You know, it just can't. It's not, we have to have... We have to be good stewards of the debt, but also we have to be, you know, we're experts when we have these conversations and we got to be able to tell them uh, and be transparent with them on what the, you know, the pros and cons of, of the decision are. There's there's risk in everything that we do, whether you're selling a house, buying a house, investing in the stock market, buying gold. I mean, there's, a, there's risk. I love that, man. So, pivoting now a little bit i was calling you nikki legs because we needed to give yeah. you a, like a, a fighter nickname but you're also nikki the note guy so creating the notes here we talked about buying them on the acquisition side but i think if correct me if i'm wrong a, a big part of your business is selling them as well on the note side and if i understand it correctly you're basically arbitraging you're getting it at one interest rate and selling it on the other side so talk about the sales side of this now because i know you've done tons of them and i know you said a lot of people also don't understand how to structure them the right way and it piqued my interest because I said I was having a hard time getting an on-market property. And you were like, man, I could find you off-market properties all day long. Here's how I do it. Or on-market. We can find you whatever you want. We just got to structure the deal. But yeah, on the note side. So that's what I tip. That's what I'm primarily do. I, everything that I've talked about up to this point in time, whether it be in a, you know, buying real estate, selling it, it's really uh, is the means to the end. The end is the note. It's the paper. It's the control of the real estate by having a mortgage note. Because my personal opinion, I would rather have a mortgage note that's paying me 10, 12, 15%, whatever it is, all, all of them are different, than I would ever want to have owning any kind of stock. And the reason being is this, I have collateral, 
okay? My investment is securitized by the property, okay? Everybody loves the market when it's going well, but not many people are loving the market now. It's too it's too inconsistent. But here's what here's what I will tell you. When you are the bank, okay? When you are the bank, which is exactly what you are when you're the note holder, okay? So if you want to buy notes, we have notes that you can buy. If you want to sell notes, we'll buy them there. If you want to create them, we'll teach you that as well. But here's what I will tell you is that banks always get paid. Let me say that again. Banks always get paid, okay? They may not always get paid today. They might not get, always get paid tomorrow, but they will get paid at some point because with the agreement that you have as the borrower with the bank, whether it be me as an individual being the bank or Chase or Wells Fargo, whoever it is, as the bank, you have a, you have a commitment to perform as the borrower, okay? And if you don't perform, then the bank's going to take actions to get their money back, okay? And the action might be something like a loan modification. Look, I can't afford $1,500 a month anymore. Can I refinance it at $1,200 a month? Yes, it can do that. That's one way to, to fix a problem. They might do deed in lieu of foreclosure. Look, you give me the deed back, I won't foreclose on you. And maybe I give you, um, you know, something back and I don't, you know, I don't report it to the credit and I don't, and it's a, it's an agreeable transaction. Or we do things called cash for keys where look, you've got some equity in the house. I'll give you some cash for it. I'm going to take possession of it. You're going to move out and you're going to leave, find some other place to go. And I'm going to take it over. I've got my thing. And then the last thing, which is the last resort is foreclosure, right? Is that, look, if you don't do what we need you to do and you stop paying me, then we're going to foreclose. And then we're going to take the house back. So now I lent you money on the on the house, okay? I don't have my money back yet, but now what do I have? The house. What can I do with the house now? Whatever I want. Probably going to sell it. Guess what I'm going to do when I sell it? Get paid. Now I got my money back. That's why I love being in the bank because I have uh, the, the risk is mitigated so much because you have the property as collateral, man. And it doesn't matter if the properties go up or down in value. The more they go up, the less risk you have, right? Because I lent you $200,000 today, five years from now, the house is worth $400,000. I don't think you're going to be likely to default when the house is worth four hundred. You're going to sell it for three hundred, dollars even though it's worth four hundred, dollars to pay me the two hundred dollars and keep the difference. So, but here's the thing, even if the value goes down, and it's possible, right? Not as much as I think it used to be because we didn't overinflate prices on houses like we did in, in 2005 through 2008. That was the demise back then. Things were over, over leveraged, right? You were buying a house for 225 that was worth 150, okay? And you go to try to say, well, why would I want to sell it for a loss? Just take it back, right? That's what happened. But now what happens is that, I forgot what I was going to say on this. I had something. I had a good point. I was going to say. We you were saying worst, worst case scenario, the the, the value goes. Oh yeah, down well, that's what I'm saying. Cares. So worst case, now you have a two hundred thousand dollar house, and it and it goes down to one fifty. Okay, well, you still are you still got one fifty. You don't lose all of it, right? You don't lose the whole thing. But here's the other thing: if you turn around and recreate new debt on it and become the bank again with a new buyer, you still only you don't even lose that because with amortization, it just may take you three 
four, maybe five years to get all your money back before you start cash flowing. You don't ever really, really lose. So you can lose if you don't buy it right or in, or be a, uh, the lender correctly from the beginning. And that's just good business practices that prevent you from making those mistakes. It's really, 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 really hard to lose money in being a note uh, holder or a lender if it's structured correctly. So, you know, make sure that whoever you buy notes from or you help have you create it, that you, that you understand what that looks like. And obviously we can, we can surely help with that too. That's awesome, man. And for people who, who don't understand the purpose of like the notes, everybody buys notes. Anytime you create any sort of loan, it's basically a note. And there's people out there that buy and sell good debt and bad debt. So collection yeah. agencies are buying and selling debt that's not paid. And then there's people that buy performing notes. When you go to bank to a bank like Chase and you get a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, they're generally not holding that for 30 years. They'll hold it till it performs at a certain level and they're selling it off for whatever a percentage of the future value is there. So that yeah. paper is like when people look at it and they think that what you're doing is crazy, what you're doing has been around since the beginning of time. People just don't understand once they get the yeah. loan that it's getting passed off. Yeah, that's a great, that, that's a great point. So you think about it, like if you ever had a home mortgage, because mo a lot of people have had a mortgage and so, but the question is you go buy and go and get a, a, a mortgage from Wells Fargo. Doesn't mean you're going to continue to make payments to Wells Fargo while you're in that house. That note might be sold three, four or five, 10 times. Okay. You're making a payment to Mr. Cooper now, or you're making a payment to, you know, uh, you know, fans or whoever it might be, right? You just, it just, that's what it is. People, it's a very liquidable, li very liquidable and desirable asset commodity. It's a, it's a very changeable. So the one thing I want to say about being the bank and what the most important thing I love about being the bank and why I think people need to start thinking, acting, in my opinion, being a bank is you think about being the mentality of being a landlord versus a bank or a landlord. When you're a landlord, you're dealing with deferred maintenance and you're dealing with liability and insurance and taxes and vacancies and all the other crap property management that goes along with being a landlord. OK, great. You get depreciation. Great. If depreciation was that damn good, banks would as greedy as they are, would figure out how to get depreciation at the same time. They don't because their amortization is their form of depreciation. Right. When they get amortization means, if, and if you don't understand amortization, go learn amortization because this is what banks do. And what amortization is, it front loads the payments into the interest portion of the debt, okay? So they get all their interest first, then you start paying back the principal. That's why when you go to pay, when you go get, a, get asked for a payoff on a mortgage you've had for 10 years, you still owe 97% of it. This is what you have to understand. And when you can be the bank as well, it's a beautiful thing. Because look, if I'm a homeowner, do I call the bank when my air conditioner goes out? My toilet breaks? My roof leaks? Never. Why would I ever call the bank? They're not the homeowner. I am. So if you can be the bank, guess what you're not getting? Calls from tenants, calls from for leaky toilets or roofs or, you know, whatever it is. This is why you can control so many more, you know, properties than you would ever be able to manage and control efficiently by owning them. That's just my opinion. 
But I love that, man. That, that, that's such a great example that I didn't even think about with that whole that whole thing there. I know we're getting a little bit tight on time here. I don't, I don't want to take up your whole your whole. No, day we're here, good, man. A couple other things that I think are interesting to, to kind of talk about. One of them is on the sales side now, I know a lot of people on the sub two stuff and the seller financing, they're okay buying stuff that has no equity, even underwater in some cases, if they can get sure. a good interest rate on that. Are you, if, if you're going to hold that as a long-term in your own portfolio, I, I personally see risks with that. I know you're, like you're saying, there's some contingencies in there, but if you're turning around and you're going to sell it on like a wrap or your own seller financing, then it makes sense. So is that part of what your business model is? And where do you stand on that of getting something that really doesn't have any equity? Because again, like you just said, if you buy it with no equity in it and something happens, they call a loan due, you have to sell it. You're basically automatically losing 10% the day you buy it if you don't structure yeah. it the right way. Great question. So I, I, I liken um, banks calling notes due like the Loch Ness Monster or Sasquatch. Everybody are UFOs. Well, maybe UFOs are real, but I'm not <laughs> sure about I'm, but I'm not sure about Loch Ness Monster and Sasquatch. Everybody says they've seen them, but no one can show me that it exists. I would love to see somebody bring me something that was a due on sale and let me see how it is because it just doesn't happen. It's such a it's such a small small piece of it. And now, really just, I, I just want to point out, if any banks are listening, I didn't say that. Don't look at me. hundred percent. I'm just. Hey, you know, here's a good, here's a good, here's a good, here's a fun thing to do. Call Wells Fargo. Call Wells Fargo tomorrow and say, hey, can I speak to your due on sale department? <laughs> and see what they come back and say. Look, here's the here's the thing. Banks can call notes due. They have the right to do it because it's a it's a breach of the agreement. It's not a, it's not criminal. It just says we can we we may call the note due, and if they call the note due, guess what we have? We have other strategies and other solutions to that problem. Because here's what we'll do: we'll just pay off the damn note, then it doesn't matter. Okay, but you got to be positioned to do that. That's number one. But number two is that banks are having have enough of a problem worrying about the people that aren't paying their mortgages more than the ones that are, are paying their mortgage. Okay. I don't I think the last number, I don't know. I mean, I can't remember how many, how many mortgages and how much debts out there that's in default right now. Banks got more of an issue worrying about getting paid from somebody that's not paying them than me paying for you. Okay. Let's be honest. Okay. So they may not like it, but whether they're going to do something about it, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Doesn't mean they can't, doesn't mean they won't. It doesn't mean I just won't write a check and pay him off if that's the case, because guess what I just did? I just created a brand new note. Guess what I'll do? I'll go leverage the debt I just created and pay off the underlying debt. So I don't, that's why I don't care about it. But we'll do negative equity, no equity deals all day long if the numbers pencil out. Matter of fact, I just built a brand new software that does exactly that. You can actually put the data in. And through in through crazy algorithms that I can't even do on paper, it'll calculate and tell me exactly what the high degree of probability, what the potential outcome is on it. So um, anyway, that's it. So I'm just not worried about it. And there's 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 strategies and ways to protect yourself um, at the end of the day. So nice. Not so do you, do you hold a portion of yours or do you mostly sell them off as as like some sort of wrap or seller financing on the sales side? So all the stuff I acquire, I I only wrap. I do not keep anything in a in a portfolio, not by wow, choice. I'm not a I'm not a landlord by choice. Gotcha. So so backing that up, I, I think because part of what you were saying at the when we were at the fights is you were you were talking about like the 
when people were talking about the monetizing the life of a lead, I think we used the example of somebody that had like a CRM and they were like, when somebody signs up for my thing, I, I get the lead for four and a half years and I make X amount a month. And you were like, right. well, yeah, but when I do, so what I, I stopped you because I just had like an aha moment because basically what you're saying is you can make almost as much, if not more as a lean Lord with none of the liability of being a landlord. Oh, I think you make more. Oh man. Wow. You just made because me, I'm getting, I'm getting my whole life. I'm just, well, Hey, apples and bananas, they're both fruits. Which one do you like better? Right. I mean, you can make a case of argument why apples are better than bananas and bananas are better than apples. At the end of the day, it's what's best for you. Here's what I do know. This is what I do know. You go down, you go to any city in this country, anyone, big, big city, small city, you can go to downtown Charlotte, or you can go to downtown Hickory, North Carolina. I don't care. And you go down the main intersection of where that town is. And there's a bank on at least two, if not three of those corners. Okay. You go to any major city and you go downtown, you look straight up and you see names of banks on the top. You don't see names of landlord companies, property management companies, real estate companies. You see names of banks. And I learned a long time ago, if it's good enough for the bank, it's good enough for me. And it's probably good enough for most. You can argue about it all that you want, but banks learned a long time ago how to control real estate and generate cash flow. And that's the model that I emulate today. And there's a way that you can do that in a very, um, very strategic and a creative way to make a lot of money by being the bank and controlling versus owning. So it's good enough for me. And it's good enough for the banks. Was it good enough for everybody? No, probably not. Here's the only last thing I'll say about this. On a mortgage, a typical mortgage, depending on the interest rate, okay? On an interest rate on the mortgage, especially at today's rates are even a little bit higher. On a 30-year mortgage, okay? Let's just say the payment's $1,000 a month, okay? Principal and interest, not taxes and insurance. We don't control taxes and insurance. It can take between 20 and 23 months before that $1,000 payment to be applied 50% towards principal, 50% towards interest. So the payment never changes. The amount never changes. What does change is the percentage of the payment that goes to the principal pay down and interest. See, what the banks, what we're doing right now is what the banks used to do up until about 19 uh 88 maybe 89 you used to be able to assume loans we're assuming the loan today also it's just a non-qualified assumption we're still assuming it but here's the thing banks got smart again say what you want about banks but they're, they're a pretty smart group of group of uh savvy business people and law creators whatever you want to call yeah. it. no what do you want to call it. so what happened so think about this for a second Back in, be, before this, banks would allow you to assume a note. So if you had a ten year, if you were ten years into a thirty year mortgage, I could buy it in, on an assumption from you. And some of them you didn't even have to qualify for traditional qualify. Hey, just take over my payments, Nick. If you want to give me a few bucks, great, no problem. They got smart, and what they said is you no longer can assume. And the reason why they say you can assume is for one reason, and it is this. If you own your house for eight years, 10 years, 12 years, and you have a 30-year mortgage and you call the bank for a payoff, great. When you, you get the payoff and it pays off the debt, but what happens with that house? 
you sell it, right? You sell it to a new buyer. What does a typical buyer do? They go down to the bank. Where do they get? A new loan for 30 years. So now the bank, and I, when I say bank, I'm just talking banks collectively, right? They're all in it together. So now the bank lent you for 10 years, sold it to, you sold to me, I got a new loan. 10 plus 30 is now 40, okay? Now I'm in, now I hold it for 12 years. I sell it to somebody else. Reset, reset, reset. These same houses can, can yield revenue, cash flow to a bank for hundreds of hundreds of years. It's the gift that just keeps on giving. That's why they do it. So, but yet when I was saying that, get that 20 to 23 years on the average to get to year, to get to the, to a 50% where the principal and the interest is at. If you look at an amortization table right now and you just want to get a payoff eight years in the future, you're probably still 95% of the debt. You get Banks get all their interest up front. That's why you, you're, you're mitigating the risk because you're getting all your interest up front. That's why I don't have a problem being the bank. You can not perform. I don't care. I'm just going to go fix the problem and do it again. Anyway, sorry about that. that no, no, that's great info because like you said there, if they're going to default, they're most likely not going to default in the first few years. That's when they're still excited and they, they think that they can carry that debt. So if they do it seven, eight, nine, ten years down the road, you got most of your interest. You turn around, you just do it again because to your point on the sales side, I don't care what's going on in the market. You're never going to have a lack of people that are going to want to have home ownership that have some sort of obstacles, whether it's credit or down payment or they're an investor. Like when you can hold creative finance and you're your buyer's pool is the majority of the country. Well, and what I want to also add to that, regardless of where you're in the economy, look, unemployment could go up to double digits, okay? Inflation can continue to increase. But think about COVID for one second. What I learned about COVID is that a lot of people were, were definitely negatively impacted by COVID, Be either you know, financially, physically, mentally, a lot of different, a lot of things happened that were not good for a lot of people. But I do know this, there was a lot of people that strived and benefited as a result of COVID. There's two sides to the coin, right? So even if it affects people negatively, 60% of the population negatively, which would be a huge number, 40% of the people are not impacted negatively, okay? You're never gonna have anything that happens where it's gonna affect everybody 100% one way or the other. So knowing that that there's still an opportunity that when a situation arises, that there's still people that are going to benefit from that situation. There's people right now that are benefiting from high interest rates. There's a people that are benefiting from, you know, an, an unstable economy. Okay. And it's it's no different. You just got to be able to pivot and see those opportunities and figure out how to how to how to use them to your advantage. I love that, man. As Tim Kalee says, there is opportunity in volatility, and there's always going to be a time to buy and a time to sell as long as you buy and sell it right. You can always make money, and especially now if you have that in your arsenal to create notes, I think Nikki, the note buyer over there has got something figured out. So for, for people listening, if, if you're like me, you have 100 more questions about paperwork and down payments and transactions and buyer qualifications and finding the deals and finding the buyers and all that stuff. And I know that you're helping people out with that stuff right now. So talk about somebody like me listening that wants more help figuring out the strategy because I want to take advantage of this opportunity. How can you help us, sir? 
Well, thank you for asking. So, um, and I love to help. This is my way of giving back because look, let me tell you something. I've been doing this a long time and it, it took me about 400 creative financing transactions to realize I was making a very big mistake. And it was a $6 million mistake. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lose $6 million. I lost the opportunity to keep about $6 million worth of notes and, and, cash flow opportunity because of the way I structured. So as a result of that, we structured, we, we structured things a little differently, learned a little bit better, and then we end up selling to the bank. So now all that stuff's now all my trials and tribulations and years of years of experience, we pass that on. So we want people that want to create their own note and be the bank. We really want them to follow a very specific note blueprint is what we call it. We call it perfect note blueprint. And it doesn't really cost them anything more to do it because they're going to pay the title company anyway. They're going to pay underwriters anyway. They're going to pay everybody anyway. We just want to make sure that they get the uh, opportunity to create it correctly. And hopefully, you know, that will be a potential um, exit or solution for them if they ever want to sell the note. So, because here's the thing, I buy notes. I sell notes. I create notes. So if I'm going to, if you're going to create a note, Nick, and you have some desire to leverage it or do something in the future, I want it to be created the way that I want it created. So I'm going to teach you and show you how to do it because the last thing I can do is buy something from you that's got a bunch of scratch and dents in it. That's what they call it. So we want it to be good from the beginning because here's the deal. Once we create this note or you create the note for your buyer, you can't change it. It's locked in unless you refinance it or do something with it. If you did it incorrectly, it's done incorrectly. And there can be some, some significant financial repercussions meant in the form of what we call the discount. So the note is not as valuable as a result. I'm not doing it correctly. Look at it this way. Yeah, it's like having two identical, I'm in Texas, so I'm going to use my Ford F-150. Two identical white, 2015 Ford F-150 pickup trucks, okay? Both have 100,000 miles on them. Both have a white with tan interior, okay? One of them has meticulous maintenance records and the tires are are rotated. There's You have all the oil change history. It's in pristine condition. There's no cracks or dents on the vehicle itself. The other one's been beat to shit. Which one do you think is worth more money? Which one do you think is going to perform better for you into the future? Well, notes are the same way. So we want to make sure that we that we create it right from the beginning, which is almost like building a brand new car. Instead of creating it and trying to fix something that's been beat to crap, because you know it as well as I do, trying to fix something that was, that, that was a problem, it's never, never going to be the same as if it was when it was new. So we just want to create it that way from the beginning. And as a result of that, we can get more value for it or you can get more value for it. And it's a win-win for everybody involved. That's awesome, man. So if people want to connect with you, they want to learn more about the Perfect Note Blueprint and all the stuff you have to offer, how do they reach out to you? How do they find out more about that? Yeah, so you can go to, uh, I'm sure you can put this in the show notes or somewhere. Yeah. So you can um, you can go to USA Note Pro, usanotepro.com. And there's a bunch of information on there, some uh, educational stuff and just how to, how to reach out to us from the note side. Or you can go to nickthenoteguy.com and you can become, you know, you can get on the, our list 
and there's a bunch of freebies in there and we have, you know, stuff on, on the perfect note blueprint and the $4.7 trillion secret and a bunch of little, you know, educational pieces that just help you understand a little bit better on how to potentially be the bank and how to, how to benefit from it. And then from there, if you want to dig deeper and you want to learn more and you want us to, to help you and be in some kind of consultative way, we're, we're happy to do it. It's, you know, People have to decide for themselves what's best for them, not for, not me to tell you what's best. I can just tell you what I do and why I do it. It's up to you to determine if it's something that fits your your goals and aspirations. That's awesome, man. And again, I'll have all those links in the show notes and social media and stuff too. I know for a little while, are you still doing? You guys had like a Facebook Live you were doing like once or twice a month. Yeah, we do that. You know, look, I'm not a big I'm not a big uh, toot my horn kind of toot my horn kind of guy. I mean, you don't you're not going to find me a lot. On social media, I we do some creative deal uh, structurings live, so I can just help use it more of an education. We do have the private Facebook group, and we got I don't know six or seven thousand uh, people in it, um, and it's a good source resource for for people. But at the end of the day, every, all these deals are very unique, traditionally in nature, so we have to have a little bit more handholding, if you will. And this is not a something that we can just deliver to the masses in a, in a high quality environment. We have to be able to come in and really work these things through. But most of these deals that we're touching right now, they're way in excess of $100,000 in perpetuity. So it makes sense to take the time to do them right from the beginning. And it's a lot more work. And this is why I think a lot of people don't like this strategy is because it's, they don't understand it. And when you don't understand, a lot of time you say no. But when you can have people on your team that that are proven and vetted that can help protect you, just like you would hire a CPA to do your taxes or a, an attorney to represent you, you know, we have the, we, we're available to do the note creation side to make sure that you're protected in, your, in the best way possible and the seller and the buyer and the lender and whoever else is involved. That's ultimately what we do. So, um, go to usanotepro.com. You can see information there. Go to Nick, the note guy. Get up on the get on the mailing list. We'll send you a bunch of free stuff just to be, you know inform you. You know, and then we do live events and master classes and stuff like that. And you know, hopefully, we can help some people become banks. That's what it's about. That's awesome, man. This has been outstanding. You are one of the more interesting guys I've come across in a long time. I really love listening to you talk. Not only at the fights in Boston, which was awesome having you there, man. You're a fun guy. You're a good time. But even at the mastermind that we went to in the smaller one in Dallas, I was like, man, just every time you talk more and more when when stuff comes out of your mouth, it just makes me think about things. So I appreciate somebody who's as intelligent as you are, thinks outside the box as you do, and keeps things entertaining and fun, too, because it could be sometimes a dry topic. But, man, you are. Uh... That is for sure. It's definitely. Yeah. Not for... You know, look, you don't see many TV shows. You know, an A and E or HDTV this or fix and flop that talking <laughs> about the the banking side of it. But the people that know what the value of being a bank are the bank, and the ones that aren't, they haven't figured it out yet, in my opinion. Because I can't. It's very difficult to to, to justify any other thing, at least least to me. So, hey, I will say one last thing. It's what we do is not difficult. It's just complex. At the end of the day, it's just a lot of moving parts. It's like the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle instead of the hundred piece with the big pieces or the thousand piece. But we solved this puzzle hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And so people can benefit 
on how to become expert puzzle solvers, if you will, by just being able to utilize the, the resources that we make available for everybody. Because at the end of the day, we really truly want people to create high quality institutional grade notes. And more importantly, we want to make sure that the buyer is protected and the seller is protected because ultimately we want, we don't want anybody to, you know, they have any kind of financial hardship or loss as a result of doing something the wrong way. Excellent advice as always, sir. I'm very lucky that we connected the way we did. I had a really good time with you in Boston. I look forward to seeing you again in Tampa. And uh, I'm awesome to have you on the podcast. Also to call you a friend. Looking forward to another fight and some dinners in the near future, sir. Always. You bring your A-game to everything you do. This interview has been no different. You definitely brought your A-game to this podcast. Any final thoughts before I let you go, Nikki Legs, a.k.a. Nikki the No Buyer? Just go get a deal, man. Just go get another deal. There's deals everywhere. Anybody that says there's not deals out there just doesn't understand what a deal looks like at the end of the day. So just go get a deal. And if you need help structuring it, hey, give us a call. We'll see if we can help you out. Excellent advice, sir. It's been an awesome time. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been fascinating. I hope you have a fantastic day. Nick Ligamaro, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day. And say hi to the missus, please. I will do that. Thanks again. Thank you. you.